Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Moneyball, the new movie starring Brad Pitt about baseball management. Joining me from the DC Slate office is Josh Levine. Hi, Josh. Hey, Dana. You are the executive editor of Slate. So important. And uh, the, the host of Hang Up and Listen, Slate's sports podcast. I am. Thank you. And uh, I'm very happy to have a sports person come and talk about this movie with me, because otherwise, I think you know about my sports dyslexia, right? I've talked about it on, on the Culture Gab Fest before. I do. You, don't, you not only don't like sports, you don't like games of any kind. Yeah, and I think it's beyond not liking. It's not so much disliking as really just feeling almost like a learning disability that I can't seem to follow along and care enough to get through a game of anything. Although I will say that if there's any sport I do understand the basic rules of and don't mind having it unspool in front of me, it is baseball. But nonetheless, I'm going to throw it to you to uh, to talk about Moneyball, the book that it's based on, and just briefly outline the plot before we, we get into spoiling. So Moneyball is based on a best-selling book, nonfiction book by, by Michael Lewis, who's actually published in Slate before, right? Michael Lewis has, has written for us before. For sure, he has. So Moneyball is about Billy Bean, the general manager for the Oakland Athletics. He's still the manager, general manager of the team now? He is, yeah. He's been there for more than a decade now, and he kind of revolutionized the way that baseball teams think about how to construct their rosters, which players to pick. And the book is about the A's finding these undervalued players and it sort of brings in these ideas from the business and financial worlds about undervalued assets and so the A's this small budget small market team is able to compete with the Yankees of the world by finding these players that nobody else wants but that they should want and so the movie in what may be a work of condensation from the book I'm not sure you'll have to tell me makes it look as if this was a decision that was arrived at at a certain point in 2001 when Billy Bean played by Brad Pitt in the movie uh, loses a bunch of of his players to the Yankees do they all go to the Yankees I can't remember no Johnny Damon goes to the Red Sox Jason Giambi goes to the Yankees so they're sort of parceled out to the richer teams in baseball Right. In fact, at the very beginning of the movie, we get two title cards on the screen that, that give us the 2001 budget for the New York Yankees and for the Oakland Athletics. And there's a vast differential between the two. And the movie makes very clear that, you know, the, baseball is about money to begin with and that Brad Pitt's just going to figure out a way to game the system and make that work in his favor. So because I'm bound to make all kinds of dyslexic errors, go ahead and let's walk me through the first 10 minutes of the movie, what happens, what's the setup, and then we can go in and start spoiling individual scenes. Sure. Well, you're right that it is a condensation of what happened in the book and what happened in reality. Um, The way the movie represents it is that Billy Bean, as played by Brad Pitt, comes to this decision to remake his team in this kind of new, statistically focused way after Jason Giambi, Johnny Damon, and Jason Isringhausen leave a very successful A's team in 2001. The reality is that this stuff had kind of been percolating before that, both in Billy Bean's mind and the A's organization and throughout baseball a little bit before that. But for the purposes of the movie, he kind of comes across the Jonah Hill character in Cleveland. He finds that this character who's based on a real baseball guy named Paul DePodesta is, oh, I thought the Jonah Hill character, the young, the young firebrand guy, was a condensation of a bunch of, of different people. But he's he's one character. In yeah, the I think the largest part of Jonah Hill is this guy Paul DePodesta. But I think that there are that's probably... quite a large part of Jonah Hill in this movie. He's <laughs> yes. looking pretty big. I think right after this movie, he lost a bunch of weight. Actually, yeah, he did. So Billy Bean, as played by Brad Pitt, comes across 
this guy in the Cleveland Indians front office. He sees that he's looking at players in this very kind of new, smart, statistical way. He brings them in to Oakland. And then the, a large part of the movie is showing them bringing in their new players for the 2002 team, butting up against the scouts and the guys who want to bring in players based on how they look and the relative attractiveness of their girlfriends. And so that's kind of a bulk of, of the plot. And so there's there's kind of a philosophical shift that, that takes place during the course of the movie, right? Where the way that they decide to game the system is to uh, to get people on base. They're they're not looking for the big hitters or the big plays. They're just looking for somebody who can reliably get on base. Yeah, I think that's fair. Just the idea that the key thing in baseball is to score runs, which seems obvious, but is not necessarily as uh, you know obvious as as you think it should have been. And that the key to doing that is to avoid making outs. They have a finite number, 27 outs in a baseball game. And if you have guys who get on base as opposed to making outs, then you're you know ahead of the game. So they're looking for players who other teams don't value, but who get on base a high percentage of the time. Right. You know, this movie was written or co-written anyway by, by Aaron Sorkin and also produced by Scott Rudin and the same team of producers who, who'd who made The Social Network. And it's being compared to The Social Network in the sense that it's also a movie about a kind of conceptual shift within an organization and also about what it means to work with someone, about men at work together. In fact, there are almost no women in this movie of any importance, um, which I didn't, you know, object to per se. But it's just it's, it's interesting that all of the women were, you know, completely peripheral to, to the action. Um, I don't think this movie works near as well as The Social Network, but I'm just curious overall, did, did you like it? Because it seems to me that the more people know about baseball, the less they liked Moneyball. I did quite like it. I think that I could spend like an hour with you right now nitpicking the various baseball elements of the movie. And even though that's the case, I feel like I was still able to separate out that sports nerd part of my brain and enjoy the movie in parts. I thought that it was a little bit slow and a little bit boring. Because there wasn't enough baseball in it? Because it's true that there's not a, a whole lot of, uh, of closely followed game action. It would be sort of like a movie about a musician that didn't have many concert scenes. Yeah, I think that was probably part of it. The other part is that the stuff that they were trying to show is really hard to represent visually. You have a lot of scenes where they're like really extreme close-ups of pixels. Right. Which, <laughs> after a certain point. And a it, lot of spreadsheets, like dramatic shots of spreadsheets on computers. So I thought the thing that was fascinating and that I could appreciate intellectually, if not enjoy kind of viscerally, is that they were exploding all of the conventions of a sports movie. The heroes here are not the guys on the field. They're bit players. The heroes are the guys who are sitting in front of the computers. And it's a team that, you know, spoiler alert, does not win the World Series, that they keep losing in the playoffs. So just the idea of making a sports movie where those things are the reality, it's an interesting challenge, at least. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was why I found it refreshing is that because I have this weird sports resistance, whatever it is, sports movies always seem low stakes to me, no matter how big the game is. It always seems like it's just a game. How high can the stakes be? Which is why I only like sports movies where the stakes lie elsewhere. And it seemed that that was the case with this movie, right? That ultimately, 
Brad Pitt doesn't so much want to win. His character doesn't so much want to win the World Series as he wants to have made a change in baseball, have revolutionized baseball. And I don't know if this was the case in real life or in the book, but this is also attributed in the movie to him having been a player. And that because he was this very promising young player whose career never panned out, it's almost like he's replaced that kind of success with a different kind of success uh, in the business of baseball. Yeah, no, that's definitely a big part of the book. The one thing in the book that's not represented in the movie that I think would have been kind of good to include is that he's contrasted with this guy, Lenny Dykstra, who they were both coming up in the Mets organization at the same time. And, you know, in the book, it talks about how Billy Bean wasn't a successful baseball player because he was too much inside of his own head, that he maybe wasn't as instinctual. Um, He was a little too cerebral. And this guy, Lenny Dykstra, would just go up to the plate, he would like swing and then he would instantly forget whatever happened and be able to move on to the next thing. And Lenny Dykstra is this totally fascinating character who was a successful player. He also got involved in performance enhancing drugs. So he was in the Mitchell Report and all of that hootenanny. And then since his career ended, while Billy Bean has become a successful general manager, Lenny Dykstra became like this financial swindler who is now facing like all sorts of charges uh, related to that. So I was sort of sad not to see uh, Lenny get his role in the film. What did you think of the performances in this movie? Because this was another thing that put it over the edge for me. I just I really walked into this thinking like oh, a sports movie about sports management worse yet. And, and, and in fact, it turned out to be one of my favorite sports movies I've seen in a while, maybe because of the management angle and also because Brad Pitt is, is pretty fantastic as Billy Bean, I think. I don't know. I didn't think that I'm trying to think of whether it was his performance or whether I felt that they didn't portray Billy Bean's motivation in a way that I found believable or compelling. There are a lot of shots of him kind of with his head and his hands or just looking agonized. And he would say things like there was exposition where he would say, oh, I just want to change the way the game is played. And I just didn't necessarily f- feel like I was convinced that the character you know, as shown in the movie, would believe those things. Like the background, even with the stuff about his failed career, I just didn't feel like it was explained well enough. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think you're in a way you're you're being the Billy Bean. You're bringing something more cerebral to it than I am, which is knowing something about the real guy, the real story, and and the book about him. I mean, I've just got what's up there on the screen to go by. But you thought there was enough on the screen that you would believe that this guy would have those feelings. I think Brad Pitt sold it to me. I don't. I mean, I don't know how believable those scenes are when he's sitting around dipping chew with the other scouts and and everybody else who's looking to pick players for the team and he's the most good looking guy in the room by you know 100 degrees of magnitude but he somehow did sell it to me I thought he did a beautiful job and I will say that Jonah Hill who I've never liked in any movie I just really don't like that character it's not Jonah Hill but but the 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 fat rude guy that he always plays in movies was completely gone from this movie right he plays this very timid and utterly lacking in self-confidence and very young economics grad from Yale so yeah, Jonah Hill, who's, who's always specialized in playing the obnoxious guy, is really lovely as the straight man. He's just, he's, he's a very sweet character. The professional relationship that he develops with Brad Pitt is completely believable. And maybe that was the part of movie that, the movie that I liked, is that it was really, in some ways, a movie about work, right? About trying to do something very different at your job, meeting resistance, finding a, a partner who understands what you're trying to do. And so that part of it was almost like a love story between the two co-workers, between these two men. And so the moments when they succeeded, like this, the moment when they're trading, remember when they're doing the, the horse trading on the phone? I thought that was a great scene where they're calling various general managers of other teams and, and playing 
them off each other, basically trying to get the best player they can and keep anybody else from moving in on him. I just thought that was a wonderful scene of, of collaboration at work and very funny as well. Yeah, I agree with you that the work scenes were good, that Jonah Hill gives a pretty good nuanced, restrained performance and that the scenes that you're describing with the orchestrating the trade, that's kind of the most action that there is in the movie. That's like a slam bam action sequence. Um, right, that's compared that's the to everything else, rather and, than seeing it happen on the field and Moneyball, and that comes across in the book as well as a hugely compelling chapter, and it was excerpted in the Times Magazine. It's called the Trading Desk. It was a great sort of piece of magazine journalism by Michael Lewis as well, and that comes across on the screen. Uh, I yeah, think, maybe that's quite one well. of the things that's more convertible to drama, you know, rather than than scrolling through the spreadsheets. But can you do a little bit of your baseball nitpickery? Since I don't know if you guys are going to do this on Hang Up and Listen, but in case you don't talk about this movie, you could take this opportunity to uh, to pick the nits that you want to. Yeah, I mean, David Hagland wrote a piece for Slate that went up this week that gets into some of this, but a lot of the credit for the success of that 2002 Oakland A's team goes to five players or should go to five players. The big three pitchers, Mark Mulder, Tim Hudson, and Barry Zito, and the two best hitters on the team are Miguel Tejada and Eric Chavez. And I ask you, Dana, having seen the movie, do you know who any of those guys are? No. Did they even appear? Did their names even get mentioned once as characters? So you might have noticed in the clubhouse, you hear Billy Bean go up to a guy and and call him Chavi a couple times. Or maybe you didn't even notice that. that. That's Eric Chavez. The other guys, I'm not sure if they're even mentioned at all. In the, the the weird thing was that a former Major League shortstop named Royce Clayton plays another Major League shortstop, Miguel Tejada. So they had like a real baseball player sub in for a real baseball player. But oh, he those did a pretty g- good job. He, he, he blended seamlessly into the rest <laughs> of the cast. But it's true that none of the players, with the possible exception of that catcher-turned-first baseman played by, by Chris Pratt, I don't know if he's based on a guy or if he's a composite. No, he's, he's a real player, Scott, Scott Hattieberg. Scott Hattieberg, right. With the exception of him, you don't really get to know the backstory of any of the players. The players are really almost like, like pawns, chess pieces that, that Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are, are moving around. Yeah, and I think that's some of the same criticism that you hear of the book is that the five players that I mentioned were not acquired in this sort of on the margins, undervalued strategy sort of way. And that the guys that they did get, Chad Bradford, the pitcher who kind of throws underhand, and Scott Hattieberg, the catcher who was converted to first base because he couldn't throw anymore. Those guys helped the A's certainly, but they helped only to kind of a small extent and that the main reason for that team winning 103 games was that they had these superstars and that since those superstars have left the team, they have not had a winning season since 2007. Right. So the complaint of the of the baseball nitpicker about book and movie would be essentially that that Michael Lewis is stacking the deck against players and making it look as if they don't matter. Sure. Or that he's giving Billy Bean credit for things that he didn't do for things that were maybe in place before he came along and started implementing his strategies. And another interesting kind of nitpick is that the end of the movie, it shows the A's losing in the 2002 playoffs to the Minnesota Twins, who are not the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. That Minnesota Twins team had a comparable payroll to the Oakland A's, and they built their team on a not dissimilar strategy. So to argue that the A's were doing 
something and got steamrolled by teams that were doing something totally different is not entirely true as well. Right. Yeah. The movie definitely does function on the kind of, you know, um, Galilean logic of the idea that there's this entirely revolutionary thing that Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are doing that everybody finds it utterly bizarre. What about the scene at the end where the, uh, the owner of the Red Sox sits down with him and offers him the most highly paid general manager job in the history of baseball and he turns it down? Is that all based on something that really happened? Yeah. And the movie actually doesn't portray the fact that Billy Bean accepted the job and that he took it for 12 hours before getting cold feet and backing out. And the kind of hilarious thing in my screening, I saw this with an audience, is that at the end, the title card comes up that Billy Bean turned down $12.5 million to become the Red Sox GM. The crowd in the movie actually gasped. (laughs) Like they couldn't believe that he had turned down that money. And knowing the, the story and coming in and being like not surprised at all by anything that was represented on screen, I found it hilarious that people... You mean because it was sort of like, what an idiot? How could, he, how could he make such a stupid mistake? I think. And here's a question for you. Uh, the song that his daughter records, the daughter plays a kind of a bit part of the movie. 12-year-old girl lives with her mother. Billy Bean is divorced from her mother. She Played by Robin Wright Penn. In one scene, she gets a tiny, tiny little scene. Yeah, so... This girl records a song. She plays the guitar and sends it to him on a CD, and you hear it kind of over the end of the movie. And there's this repeated riff where she goes, you're a loser, dad. You're a loser, dad. I didn't really understand that. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say that that song sounded ripped off from a Moldy Peaches song, which was the first thing I thought about it. But it is very catchy, the song The 12-Year-Old Daughter. But why was she saying yeah, that her right, dad was a loser? the refrain, you're a loser, dad, you're a loser, dad, which is sort of a strange thing to send the audience out with because we're supposed to feel very inspired, right, by him having turned down the $12.5 million offer and sticking with his beloved Oakland A's and so forth. So I don't know, I don't know why we're walking out with you're a loser. I think it was meant... But even beyond what we're supposed to leave with, why would the daughter be calling the dad a loser? I just didn't understand it on that level. I heard it as just affectionate irony on the daughter's part, the way any okay. 12-year-old kid might might say that to your dad. But but it did, I think, uh, maybe unintentionally seem to undercut the movie's final inspirational message. Well, that's another interesting topic. I found the movie to be the opposite of inspirational because at the end it says on that same title card or maybe the next one that the Red Sox won the World Series after Billy Bean turned them down using the same principles that Oakland had and that Billy Bean was still trying to win the final game of the season, meaning trying to win the World Series. And so basically he had tried, he had failed. Other teams had absorbed his strategies. Um, I found it to be like the opposite of triumphant, which again, I found kind of fascinating from the perspective well, of trying to... Well, ex- dad is perfect. It's just driving the last nail in right. poor Billy Bean's coffin. But you, but you thought that it was supposed to be inspirational. Well, I mean, in the sense that it's a movie about underdogdom, right? And the, and the embracing of underdogdom almost as, a, as a, a life choice, a spiritual choice or something. And it, and it seemed like the, the, the Brad Pitt of the end, the Billy Bean of the end of the movie, was, was happy with the choice that he'd made. He decided to stay home, essentially, to be close to his family, to be close to his team. It was one of those stories about, you know, simplicity winning out in the end or something like that. And maybe this is my sports dyslexia speaking again, but... It didn't seem like the ultimate ending to this movie would have been winning the World Series or becoming the most highly paid general manager in baseball. It would seem like it would be it seemed like it would be sticking with his team and and sticking with his philosophy. And that's what he does. Fair enough. I think that's probably right. I did have one last thing that I wanted to mention this Easter egg that I think I saw in the movie. I want to see if you noticed it, Dana, or if other people did in the audience from just seeing things. You might remember that Steven Soderbergh 
was supposedly going to make this movie. He wanted to do this thing where he would have real life interviews with people from the book, like Bill James and Billy Bean, and then intercut it with dramatic scenes. The studio did not want to do that. So he was replaced with Bennett Miller, who directed Capote, and I think does a fine job with this material. But I think I spotted Steven Soderbergh in the stands of the Oakland Coliseum during the game. They're showing the A's trying to win their 20th game in a row to do this um, winning streak. And it's like the most kind of conventional sports movie part of Moneyball. I thought I saw Steven Soderbergh like watching the game. Did you notice that? I didn't see that Easter egg, but I think you must be right, because I remember reading there's a cameo that there was some sort of surprising cameo in this movie. And I remember me thinking, well, I'm never going to get what it is because it's going to be some big baseball guy that I won't recognize. But Soderbergh, I should have recognized and I didn't see him. Was he holding up a big foam finger or something? (laughs) No, he was just like looking like Steven Soderbergh wearing glasses and maybe wearing an A's cap or something. But it kind of stuck out to me and I thought it was kind of a little amusing curio in the Very sportsmanlike of him to appear in the movie that he wanted to to direct and didn't get to. Seriously, good sport. Josh, thanks so much for coming in to discuss Moneyball with me. Sure thing. Thanks, Dana. Our producer is Andy Bowers. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is also Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.